So, um, okay, Jason, um, one question. When you started with Java, what was your first project or your first program or how you found Java, the road to Java? So it's interesting because I, I had uh, I had looked at Java when it was it was like the the very one of the very first releases. It was like hot Java when you could uh, you could only run it on on Spark, um, mm-hmm. but that was that was purely just uh, sort of getting to know it. And I, and the funny thing was that when I first used it, I I, I really wasn't that that fond of it. I I was kind of originally a, a a C C plus plus guy, so um, so at first I, at first I wasn't a huge fan, but then afterwards I I I had some projects where uh, there was a lot of benefit in using it, and then I started to really appreciate it, and now I, I couldn't imagine imagine going back. Um, but probably the the, uh, the first major the first major applications um, were uh, th- that I developed with it were were in uh, telecommunications type. Um, sector mm-hmm. so uh doing lots of sort of like uh data processing type stuff okay so um similar on my side so if i saw the applets the first time i couldn't believe it. it's like what's that so i, I didn't knew the duke so what's 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 up with the duke and this was like very strange experience but uh then i yeah i also started with server side java strangely enough so a few applets some chats but then stick with the server. So, what you created um, for the telco industry? Uh, so, yeah. So, I, I, the area that I worked in was um, essentially we were building an, an ISP, um, mm-hmm. at, and, and so we had we had a lot of stuff that was you know that was written uh, as native daemons, native native servers, and then we started to use it uh, started to use Java as a way to um, bring in more more people because not a lot of people have sort of like Unix native C development. And, and then, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of like the productivity benefits of it really started to take hold, you know, cause you could, you could have uh, you know, a decent sized team produce something fairly quickly. Uh, so like the types of applications, you know, would be like a, sort of like provisioning based applications for, for setting up, um, setting up a, a equipment, a telecommunications equipment for, for, for routing customers or it could be a, a interfacing with building systems, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was web-based applications. I mean, that was, it was all, so it was all service, all server-side Java, uh, but it was more like SE applications initially. And then, and then we started moving, uh, you know, uh, web-based aspects to, uh, to, you know, to mm-hmm. the application server environment. Um, what, what was your first server? Uh, so that was in- interesting because, uh, I looked at a lot of, of app service. Originally, I think the first thing. Um, I was using was uh, like an earlier Tomcat um, mm-hmm. release, and then um, I I played with a bunch of different ones like Orion, um, and then eventually ended up settling on on JBoss, um, and so that's <laughs> that's sort of like how how all of this started. Is I was I was originally a user of JBoss, um, developing as version probably version three, um, and and then from there, start, we started using a lot for in, in building integration systems. We had a, we had like a, in in that location, we had a whole Windows shop that was building all kinds of stuff, uh, you know, with Microsoft technologies, um, .NET stuff, and then uh, a bunch of sort of uh, what do you, what do you, like business process management software, um, mm-hmm. and that was that was heavily integrated uh, web services based. So. Um, that was 
partly how I got involved with JBoss was um, as 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 we were building these these this integration stack, there was a lot of problems in the in portability of the web services implementation between all these different all these different uh, frameworks, and so I was submitting patches up to to a bunch of different things. Hey, cool. Um, so, what is your impression of the early server side Java? So you so so you tested lots of servers, so evaluated lots of servers. So you like that or not? So what were the early days? Um, so, I mean, I I really did. I I really liked the I really liked the servlet model. Um, so mm -hmm. that was like sort of my first impression in building applications because you know every everything else, all the other web technologies were doing the whole uh, you know build up tear down approach you know to computing. Mm -hmm. So I really liked I really liked the threading model that was with servlets so that you could. You know, you could write something and then handle a request, and then you don't you're not actually having to lose state. You could do mm -hmm. you could do much more uh, higher performing applications. Um, mm -hmm. And then um, and then I found the component model aspects of of server side Java development uh, very compelling. Uh, you know, just just from standpoint of, of sort of like good software architecture, and then having um, you know test driven development aspects where you could you could break up your application sort of separate business concerns I, I i thought that was a pretty powerful thing so uh you know i was my my team was was heavily using things like ejb um mm -hmm. and and it was at the time it was uh it, it was it was pretty compelling stuff so um, i mean i still think it, it it's it's evolved quite a bit um so if i was building an application today i would still be very much drawn to the to the e programming model yeah, um, so it's uh, interesting. So you started already with Java E, right? So Java E were or, were already out. Yes. So this were. Yeah. So I okay. mean, well, I mean, originally, you know, when when I was looking at Java in the earlier days, it was more SE based applications. Um, but mm -hmm. then, but then, you know, it was look, looking at Tomcat. Servlet was the first the first Java programming model I ever looked at, and from there, yeah. So I, I probably started looking at uh, Java. It was Java EE one dot. It's either 1.2 or 1.3, I believe. Mm -hmm. it's primarily, it was using okay. 1.3, but I, I can't remember exactly which version I looked at first. <laughs> that That's interesting because I started with server-side Java before Java uh, J2E, and the problem was, so you got servlets, mm -hmm. you got EGBs, you got GMS, and there were, I would say, around 50 different application servers, and each one had a complete different set of APIs. And for me, it was impossible to understand, you know, uh, a two application servers at the same time. So I was completely, uh, I, I couldn't even, you know, uh, uh, implement something reasonable because the servers were so different. And then J2E came out and this was for me like, oh man, this is the really thing because now I can rely on the set of APIs. And this was a huge simplification. But you already started with the J2E, so you don't know the advantage of it, right? Right. Yeah, I missed <laughs> I missed that that era where everything was completely proprietary. Um, I mean, I, I this was crazy times. Mm -hmm. This was persistence powered here. I don't know. This was a server which was half Java, half C plus plus, and there was uh, Tenga. It was the predecessor of BA. It ran on Novell Netware and uh, Boland and. Uh, Java web server, which was just servlets from some microsystems, for instance. And then I think you didn't start it with Tomcat, rather than it was the Sun, what was it called? Sun Web Developer Kit, 
which was the predecessor uh, yes. of Tomcat. Yeah, I remember that now. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then there was a a Chixo project from Apache, also a servlet engine, which I evaluated. But the point was, I was I, I I read the whole time, you know, all my free time, all my time, and I couldn't understand, you know, how it's possible to be productive having so different environment. And yeah, this is why I like actually Java E. This is uh, why I still stick with it because it's actually great. You just rely on the thing, and you can you can be productive. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that was that was one of the things that was nice was that um, we we had cases where there was there was applications that um, that were uh, you know completely written for I believe it was was some old version of WebSphere. Um, that mm-hmm. came in and then and then converting those over was was really not that, that I mean there was there's a lot of proprietary hooks still right um, but mm-hmm. you know it's, it's still converting over was was fairly simple compa- compared to other architectures you know if you write for example like a because uh, what I was doing a lot of native development we would write like native plugins for say Apache or for mm-hmm. uh, um, for, for for the Microsoft server stuff and you know those APIs were completely totally. <laughs> Like not, there's no similarity at all, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so I, can, I, I can relate from that standpoint. Um, but that's the thing I always liked about Java was just that that whole like uh, write once, run everywhere thing. Um, mm-hmm. I, it, it really, I thought it really lived up to that. Um, so it, it, it's great. So cool. So and then you became a JBoss user, and and then you were hired by JBoss or right. Red Hat. Yeah. So when um, so I I started noticing. Um, problems with the web services stack. So it was based on Apache Access at the time. And mm-hmm. the issue was is that sort of the web services world was moving towards, um, you know, the schema-based uh, processing for... Because mm-hmm. before that, there was RPC encoded, which is the slope encoding. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Access stack was written, uh, you know, was written from the perspective of RPC encoding. So it really wasn't designed for, uh, for doing schema-based stuff. And... Essentially, the 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 guys that were working on it at the time, they they put in a lot of stuff to to make it work, but it had issues. So I was just sending in a mountain of patches, um, you know, getting it work working where where I was at. And then they, uh, I got an email from uh, from Thomas Diesler, who was who was heading up that area, and he's like, uh, "Hey, how would you like to do this for a, <laughs> for a living?" So <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's how that's that's how I got started. Um, I mean, I had been contributing to open source projects. Uh, you know, for a while. And I, th- I thought, uh, you know, to me, it was always like a nice, sort of a nice hobby type thing. It was really great. Uh, but when, when you did it at night or yeah, yeah. Night, uh, night weekends. Um, I just like to hike on, uh, to hack on something, you know, sort of technically, really technically challenging. Um, and it's, it's, I like the collaborative development process behind open source. It was quite a bit different than, you know, the business world interaction, stuff like that. So I, it, it kind of drew me in. <laughs> but I have to admit, I would never contribute to SOAP, I have to say. I, 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 never, I never got it because I did a lot of stuff with uh, Corba, Genie, and RMI. Mm-hmm. And then uh, SOAP came out and I said, what is that? You know, because it's not a real improvement. This is like the whole idea of XML is somehow nice, but it's never used. It was actually completely exaggerated in the companies. It would it could even work, but uh, what I saw, you know, XML everywhere in the databases, they just blew up because they became too big, or just uh, the attempt to standardize everything. So I I, I didn't like SOAP at all. So um, this uh, XML how it's called XML RPC. This is what I 
used. This was the the predecessor of soap. Oh, right. So this yeah. is what I like. It's very lightweight. This was like RMI mm-hmm. over ASCII, I would say. And then soap came out, and I, I I only use it because sometimes it was the only way, you know, to talk through the firewall. So this was the main advantage, you know, because with the old binary protocols, it was impossible to talk between servers. And and you like soap back then? Well, uh, it was. So it wasn't so much that I that I that I liked it. I mean, um, I you know actually I I was I still think that um, IOP was a really um, powerful protocol. Um, you know, just just the way that they designed the whole encoding mechanisms and dealing with different platforms, different byte orderings, mm-hmm. semantics, and stuff like that. It was I thought it was a really uh, a really nice technology. It was kind of interesting because even though it had the portability, there was still like lots of problems um, with implementing it. And I think some of it is just from the assumption that they, a lot of it's designed around the assumption that the whole network is, is, is flat, right. Or, mm-hmm. or locally accessible. And then any, any point can call out to any point. Um, and I think that hurt its adoption relative to um, relative to other technologies. Um, but yeah. But uh, Jason, mm-hmm. if, if you, if you take a look at, uh, for instance, GRPC, mm-hmm. Or thrift and all the technologies—they are extremely similar to to IOP, right? Right, exactly. To, uh, to corporate. Yeah, so they kind of t- they so, took away the parts of IOP that were problematic, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, I, I so that one of my—that's uh, actually one of the things I think about. So, like, 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 I like the philosophy of REST, for example. Um, but I think mm-hmm. one of the things that's uh, difficult compared to say like Java serialization or what IOP had is just the mapping of the mapping of the data model to uh, to you know. To wire format and then back to your, you know, to whatever object model mm-hmm. you're using internally. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's interesting because there's a lot of challenges, you know, in writing protocols where you you have to care about things like compatibility, you know, like versioned versioning mm-hmm. of your protocol and, th- and things like that, and and stuff like gRPC or um, they, they you know they they're thinking about these these problems and they have uh, you know if, uh, the the protobuf stuff has you know semantics for that sort of thing um, mm-hmm. and. But you know, and if you look at like REST applications, you're sort of taking something and then you're 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 doing like a JAXB sort of approach, or just directly taking the the object and throwing it out to the wire. And so, it's uh, it's I think a lot of you end up with some code more in the in the application. So it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to see how that evolves in in the future. Um, but. So what happens uh, in w- my observation in enterprises? Uh, you probably know the data transfer object pattern. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, not really efficient because what what uh, developers tend to do is they create a DTO which is somehow automatically serialized over the wire, and then they have an entity which is stored in the database, and they map between both objects, and <laughs> and they are mostly identical, so right. it's just waste of time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what uh, <laughs> what uh, what meanwhile what I'm doing, I ditch the DTOs completely. And the entities are just serializing themselves to JSON. So there is a method to JSON. And what they are returning is JSON object from JSONP. And with Java 8, we get uh, a very, uh, I would say, pragmatic version of that with JSONB. So the new DTO could be, you know, just POJO with public fields and nothing else. And uh, I think this is, could be even a good thing to have a, a decoupling. So like, because we are often forced to serve JSON objects for web apps, and uh, and they have to be simple. So if you would, you know, uh, send our whole Java object hierarchy, it is a really would be really hard harder to consume for for the clients. So I think they, I uh, you know the uh, 
perfect serialization and deserialization of Java object might be overstated a bit, because even if we were capable of doing this, we would still have to map or decouple from the internal representation, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the key thing is uh, uh, is having some form of separation between what you're mm-hmm. what you're sending on the wire. And I agree with you completely that like the DTO pattern has been problematic <laughs> just from a bloat perspective. Um, and mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, JSON B helps a lot. So um, so I mean, I, th- I think that's where like the like the rest pattern is great because it standardizes the uh, you know sort of like the common access patterns and makes things a lot easier. Versus mm-hmm. you know that was the issue with web services, right? Is you have to have like you can't consume it without having a um, a tool generate a bunch of code for mm-hmm. you, right? It's, it's just not exactly. practical. But with REST, you could get away with, you know, just throwing together a, a, a GET request and and then you just get mm-hmm. an object back and you deserialize it. So so I, I think that that's going to evolve further. But yeah, I mean, I think JSONB helps significantly. Um, so yeah, if you, if you could get those DTOs down to a small size, like just a, just a few sets of fields and then you have a copy operation, it's, it's great. Cool. So then you became the soap guru at JBoss. Yeah, so I so I worked on the web ser- <laughs> services team. So that was really interesting because we were we basically uh, because we were going through that transition of soap encoding to uh, you know to schema, mm-hmm. we we re-implemented a whole new um, web services stack uh, as part of that that was schema knowledgeable, um, and that greatly that greatly improved our interoperability. Um, and then, but then what ended up happening is we had there was so many WS star specs that were coming out and then the uh, community, a lot of web services projects started forming. So what we ended up, ended up eventually doing was, um, was, uh, was, was moving with uh, using CXF. So we, we switched from our native stack to a, a layer mm-hmm. on top of CXF, which that's still what's in use today for our, our web services implementation. It's, it's based on, it's based on CXF. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, so that was that was kind of like the first thing I did was was working on that, and then areas of the server that were associated with uh, EE um, EE compliance and issues there. Um, and then I and then I moved into clustering after after web services. I, I was on the uh, working on JBoss Cache and the project that then became Infinispan. Oh, cool! So, you, um, and one question about JBoss. Uh, was it the era of Mark Flurry? So you know Mark Flurry personally? Yes. Yeah. So I joined in. So I was a contributor in two thousand four, and I joined in um, officially joined in two thousand five. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I still remember. Uh, like I, I flew in. At, it was the first. It was like JBoss World Atlanta, and <laughs> and it was like the it was the first conference, first JBoss World conference, and, and I flew in. I just it, it, I think. Uh, um, my wife will probably never really forgive me for this, but I left at the end of our honeymoon. <laughs> we went <laughs> okay <laughs> to join right after I got hired, and uh, no, everything's cool. But yeah, it's funny. It's like, well, like, right at the end, I gotta, I gotta go to this thing, and so I, um, so I went, and it was uh, a, a small room with maybe uh, this, this. Well, this was not not just the whole conference, but the the meeting, the development team, and the development team at JBoss at the time. It was like it was a small room of maybe like twenty to 30 people, something like that. And that was it. That mm-hmm. was the whole, that was, that was JBoss. <laughs> so, okay. So that's what I joined. So I was in the, in the early enough time to where, yeah, I, I knew, I knew Mark personally. I knew, um, I knew all the original guys. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I've been there. I've been there ever since. So it was kind of, it's, it's been a great journey. It's a cool spirit, I think, right? Yeah. So it was a, 
And then you became, uh, so you started with clustering and uh, J-Boss Cash. So I need, I think, Mani, I, I know Manik Sultani, right? So he's one of the J-Boss Cash leads as well. So we met at conferences. And uh, you, um, so what is your job then? Was like conceptual work or just hacking the cash or what was it? Right. So, uh, so when I joined, I was uh, leading a project that tied into J-Boss Cash that was called Pojo Cash. Um, and mm-hmm. basically what it did was it did um, um, AOP bytecode interception of, of objects and then, tri- and then transparently mapped those objects directly to, to the cache. Um, okay. And, uh, and it, was, it was kind of like, if you sort of compare it to like, uh, it had a similar philosophy sort of to, well, I really shouldn't compare it to JDO. But, you know, it's, a, it's sort of the idea that one, the second that you invoke a method something happens mm-hmm. right away um, mm-hmm. versus what we ultimately decided to do to take the direction was, was to do more of an, uh, of an ORM style approach like, like Hibernate mm-hmm. uses where mm-hmm. we, we map. So you have a mod, uh, you have a live model that you're working with and then we, and then we, we map it um, in a similar way to what JPA works to, uh, you know, to, to writing it, to persisting out to the, the caster. So like JDG right now uses, mm-hmm. uses that approach Um uh, but yeah, so that was it. Was all cutting edge and stuff, and, and you know, with complicated problems to map. For example, how arrays, Java arrays into into cacheables, cacheable types that were clustered. Um, and then I did a lot of a lot of patches with the with the overall architecture with JBoss Cache. Um, worked on um, the locking model and uh, uh, sort of state transfer algorithms to, to optimize the um, you know when nodes join a cluster. Um, so that was a really interesting. That was a really interesting area to work. So I got to. So I did first did the web services stuff, and then I got to do clustering stuff, which is totally different. Um, yeah. And that was probably closer to my interest because I tend to like lower level technical stuff in general. Mm-hmm. So um, we got to do lots of sort of algorithmic type uh, problems to solve those. Mm-hmm. But interesting, uh, with the uh, JBoss cache, I remember back then, so you always had two choices, synchronous replication or asynchronous, and the synchronous would block everything and lead to deadlock, and the asynchronous was uh, very fast and scalable, but not consistent. So um, even then, you always had the t- two choices, like the cap theorem, you know? So um, it was... And, and and people believe back then if we just use JBoss Cache or now InfiniSpan or Hazelcast or whatever, it will solve the problems. But you always have to you know to decide would I like to have more consistency or more scalability? And I think with the JBoss Cache, it was a tree cache first. So this is what I use it first. This was like, yeah, it was a tree based, and then they migrated to hash map, right? So or not to hash map, to a map, map based. And then it became InfiniSpan, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that was the key. You know, a lot of the reason why it was tree based was because it it originally had a a synchronous, you know, a synchronous locking model. You know, mm-hmm. where so like the locking pattern, in order to make the locking pattern optimal, the tree structure became really important. Um, mm-hmm. But then we moved to um, a, a MVCC locking model approach, multi version mm-hmm. currency control. So there's so it's more like you're working as a snapshot of isolated states. So it's much more acid. Much more acid-like, like you would if you were operating against mm-hmm. a, a database, um, and then and then the, the the tree model aspects weren't weren't as important, and and also that uh, it was more natural. We always felt it was more natural for a developer to interact with it with just a straight map. Um, yeah, but you know there were still uh, still a lot of diehard fans of the tree structure. Um, 
you know, because they just designed, they architect their application around that structure, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I believe that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, exactly. And then you introduce even isolation levels for the cache, right? So you could set up the isolation levels uh, about, uh, you know, the isolation of the transactions during the synchronization, right? Right, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. And then you stick with the cache or clustering or what is your next, you know? Uh, go, a goal or your mission at uh, Jabos. Yeah, so yeah, so what, what happened was I was working on um, I was working on the the clustering stuff, and it, I really enjoyed that. And then um, um, they uh, I they <clears throat> was it Sasha at the time um, was uh, was was looking to for you know who should he was he was asking for who was interested in the uh, in the EE standard stuff standard work because uh, uh, Bill at the time who was the uh, he was on the EE spec. He wanted to work on some other areas, so so I stepped in to work on the EE six spec. Um, cool. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where that that's kind of what led to me then moving into the core app server was uh, from that standards work. You know, that's when we were sort mm-hmm. of defining uh, web profiles. Well, as you, you remember, right? <laughs> yeah, but this is uh, this is the revolution. This uh, the Java six is, uh, I think. Where you know the true lightweightness started, I would say. Yeah, that was that was the when we finally were able to shed all of the stuff of E that people really weren't wanting for web applications. I think that that made it. I mean, you know, not shed it like as a permanently basis, but just allowing you know a, a configuration or runtime that did involve you know all the, all the mm-hmm. stuff that like JMS that you didn't necessarily need you know for a web for a web app. Mm-hmm. And um, so you started with uh, with the clustering in Java six. Uh, one question: What is the actually killer feature of JBoss regarding clustering? Is something you really like in clustering, or unique feature, or right? So one of the things that's nice about it is that we do have because we have uh, um, open source. Um, Real open source roots, but all of all of the components of of Wildfly or JBoss EAP, you know, they're all independent community projects that we aggregate. Mm-hmm. So we tend to have quite a bit of flexibility. Um, so the cluster, mm-hmm. our clustering layer, layers, you can configure it in a multitude of ways. Um, you could use uh, a, a distributed based clustering, you know, where you have uh, where, where you sort of it's sort of you know if you think of it from the perspective of uh, you know, of, of like RAID, where you combine the share total size, so you can have, you know, multiple mm-hmm. nodes in a grid, and then and then the uh, the data is only stored on a subset of those. But there's like a there's like a redundant copy um, mm-hmm. that's kept, and you can configure that. So you could have you could have a full distributed for your for your replication, or you could do, um, you know, a, a straight synchronous replication setup where you want every node to have an exact copy, so you have the maximum. Redundancy. Mm-hmm. Um, you could configure the things you were talking about synchronous, asynchronous. You could configure um, every aspect of how well it synchronizes. So if you have, if you want immediate consistency, you can adjust that. Um, but you are talking about the InfiniSpent uh, clustering right now, right? Right. So like internally, Wildfly's clustering uses InfiniSpan. So oh. so like when you use, for example, mm-hmm. HTTP session replication, internally mm-hmm. it's using an InfiniSpan cache. Um, mm-hmm. Now we have to do some kind of advanced stuff because the semantics of you know clustering for EE components are not necessarily the default semantics if you were to use say InfiniSpan for example. Mm-hmm. So we have mm-hmm. we have some APIs and some hooks there uh, that that integrate the two technologies in a way that makes it work well. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's very customizable. So you can take an application that, um, let's say you have an application, for example, that's like really heavy on state. Um, you know, you can configure the Wildflat clustering layer to be optimal in that case, or, you know, you can have a case where you have an application that's, vi- you know, that's very light in state, and then you can optimize, you can optimize that as well. Now, it, it tries to do stuff automatically, um, you know, but there's, as, as, as automatic as you can make it, there's always that need to, to change something, right? Um, okay. So, but the base model is like InfiniSpan is the data plane or the backbone, and all these stateful components will just use InfiniSpan to share the state, right? That's correct, yes. Um, and there's some there's some slight exceptions in that we have uh, we have like a membership discovery type stuff that is that shares the JGroups channel, but it's not um, it's it, it's not working with state. But in most cases, like 99 of the time, you're you're dealing with an InfiniSpan cache under the hood for for all aspects of uh, of data based clustering in in Wildfire. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um- uh, slight sw- uh, switching uh, switching the gears here um, regarding microservices. What I notice is this is really hard to use JMS in distributed uh, world, and um, not using JMS rather than setting up the JMS server. And what I already thought it would be actually really interesting to uh, misuse InfiniSpan as a JMS transport layer. So not actually using, you know, the message server because you could use InfiniSpan as a distributed uh, GMS server and just as event, event mechanism. This should actually work, right? Because you could send a message which serializes and it will arrive in all other application servers at the same time, right? Yeah, you could, you could technically use it that way. Um, the only thing is, is just that uh, it, it's really designed around storing state which you know you might, i guess you might want if you have if you're looking at it see like a persistent persistent queue <laughs> um yeah but the but the patterns are really built around sort of random random access but i mean yeah yeah it'd be an interesting uh you know it'd be an interesting sort of research project to try to yes. look and see how you could build uh messaging on top of a on top of like a GDP. because because the problem is if you have to set up the gms server it has to run somewhere right and uh, someone has to care about, uh, um, you know, the clustering failover. And if you have, uh, so in my world, in my microservice world, the whiteflies are running in a Docker container. And there is one-to-one relation between whitefly and the war, the microservice. Mm-hmm. And uh, if each microservice would put, you know, the um, InfiniSpan, they could find each other and we would could communicate to each other using JMS in asynchronous way without actually uh, having a central point of failure, like the GMS server. Yes, yeah. So and you could definitely do something like that also, with, uh, but it'd be a bit lower level. Like JGroups um, yeah. has yeah, people exactly. so build J- systems mm-hmm. on top of it to do exactly that, right? To, 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 sort of like they set up, dynamically discover each other, and they set up a, a, a group communication bus, and then, yeah, you can do that. But but this could be actually an interesting project, GMS via J groups. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Cool. So um, so you s- and and now you're still involved with the clustering stuff, or are you just the project lead of everything? Uh, not so not as much. Uh, I mean, I I'm involved in the Wildfly clustering when we have like uh, clustering, you know, design discussions. I I, t- I tend to get involved with every aspect of the server from a from a design perspective. But we have uh-huh. uh, Paul Ferraro. He, he he's actually the lead of the um, the clustering 
in the mm -hmm. server. So we have we, we each major area we tend to have someone who specializes in that. Um, and then of course, you know, there's the Infinis Man team and there's a collaboration, you know, between all of between all mm -hmm. those folks. But mo I mean I, I tend to be pretty broad after, you know, moving into into leading the project. So um, you know, after I was on the spec, I it ended up where uh, I started to lead there for for, for J Boss. Um, like the first release I worked on was five dot uh, was five dot one was the first mm -hmm. release I led. Um, and then we, which is interesting because we, we had just been through, a, a, if you remember like AS5, between AS4 and AS5, there was a big uh, mm -hmm. re-architecture. Um, it just yes. took a while and people were like, where is it, when is it coming? And then we delivered that and then we went to six where we tried to, because it took a while for, for five, um, we, we tried to speed things up um, with, um, you know, with doing sort of uh, incremental EE6 type stuff. Um, is mm -hmm. and milestones and then in um and then we decided that we really needed just the, the landscape of things were changing and um we kind of saw like uh a lot smaller devices and cloud and things like that being a possibility so we, for for as7 um we we completely um, rebuilt the server um from the internal architecture so so kind of went through two major architectural uh mm -hmm. shifts um, and then that's what the, that so that was the big basis of, of the the first thing, um, the first major effort that um, that I was really heavily uh, involved in was was rearchitecting the server for uh, for being really lightweight, booting fast, uh, having decent memory footprint, um, mm -hmm. and and so we still we still have that so we've still been on that architecture since then. <laughs> exactly. So uh, what's what's the mission right now? So, what is actually your main goals? So, we let's say, yeah, what is the uh, the vision, you know, regarding uh, Whitefly? Right. So, what would you like to achieve? Right. So, one thing is is that we see um, the way in which um, application runtimes are used as being um, as as evolving to being different. I mean, in general, we like the software delivery model. Um, we see changing where. Um, uh, Continuous delivery is like the future, right? Everybody's moving to mm -hmm. rapid release. Um, and then also we see, you know, microservices in, in the future, um, um, cloud native applications. And mm -hmm. and so, and, and you sort of see like a lot of the aspects of like the infrastructural server pieces of, um, um, you know, that you would have in an application server sort of evolve in, into becoming part of like the, the cloud platform. Um, yeah. and, and then the application server, uh, sort of becomes more focused on being a, a, a runtime. And so our, our, our philosophy is, is allowing for these, uh, sort of smaller images of, um, of a service that someone would implement, um, to be custom to, to really anything that you would want to do. So like right now, you know, we've been very much the EE, we're the EE full platform, um, you know, or you could be, you could be web profile. And, and then, you know, we've always had the ability where with, if you look at Wildfly, um, you could actually rip it. This is kind of like a JBoss history forever, right? You could always rip the server down to whatever you want it to be. You could slim it to whatever you want it to be. But Exactly. But you have to kind of, there's work involved in figuring out what you want that to be. And sometimes you have to like catch dependency issues and stuff like that. I mean, it's not like, it's not a hard problem, but it's certainly something where it's, uh, you know, there's some steps involved in deciding mm -hmm. what to slim it to. Um, so the, th the direction that we're taking things is, um, so for like the, for the next 
release in particular, we're going to be targeting um, uh, in integrating a new uh, provisioning infrastructure, um, although it's going to happen in stages. And the the idea is that uh, that it will make it really easy to um, to slim and grow the server to whatever you want it to be. Um, so we see that as being sort of like beyond you know beyond those limited profiles that, that you have. So you could sit, you could say, for example, um, I want exactly these these capabilities for my server, and then you would get a very thin runtime that is exactly mm -hmm. that exactly that set. Um, and then your application would be a part of that. So make it really easy to build up and tear down the server, and then also make it easy to add in um, technology on top. So we already today do that where if you look at, for example, like J, uh, the JBoss Data Grid stuff, um, mm -hmm. there's a server mode, and the server mode internally uses, actually internally is built off of Wildfly. Um, and then we have things like uh, the Keycloak project. I'm not sure if you've mm -hmm. seen that, but that's like a SSO. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's based off of Wildfly. So we have a lot of, a lot of uh, projects that are based off of Wildfly. Um, and so one of the things we're looking at is we can make it really easy to build technology on top of the server. Um, and so that's another goal of this effort is to, is to make it so that, uh, uh, you know, there could be a bigger ecosystem around it where um, developers could contribute um, technology that layers on top of Wildfly, and then you could sort of pick the modules that you want when you assemble the server, and then you end up being, being you know, able to, to do like microservices architecture with individual services that are tailored to what you want to do. So that's, in a nutshell, that's basically where we want to go, and we think that if we, you know, that we speed up our delivery cycle and then we add those, um, improve those customization capabilities, that it will make it a lot easier to build um, complex systems, um, and you by by using Wildfly. Yeah, uh, the provisioning you are referring to Wildfly thirteen, right? Right. So thirteen would be the uh, where we would introduce it internally. Um, it probably won't be too uh, too interesting at that point because we'll have we'll basically just be using it from an architectural perspective. Um, but then mm -hmm. in fourteen, we're going to try to start breaking. Like one of the things we want to do as a part of it is is to uh, break the server into smaller grained components because like right now you can you can you know you can remove elements but if you want for example um, a transaction manager uh, you might end up where you have a dependency on JCA for example um, mm -hmm. even though strictly that's not necessary um, mm -hmm. so that that you know that that. <clears throat> That's kind of a big phase of it is to break things into into modules that can be easily easy to pick exactly what you need. So more flexibility. Okay. Yeah. I see the point of building on top of uh, Whitefly. What I'm using right now is I always use Whitefly full profile. I never use the web profile because there's not a lot different difference between them. What I even did, and, and I don't know whether you saw this, I recorded, a, recorded. I delivered a session, a Java 1 heavyweight uh, versus lightweight. And uh, a full hour, I just measured the performance differences or footprint differences between servers. And there were not that many. So um, actually, there was not a lot difference between white, Whitefly Swarm and the full Whitefly. So your problem is, I guess, the uh, Whitefly is already pretty thin. So even the full Whitefly, if you start it, it, it starts, it boots very fast, and this is very lean. So um, I would say if we strip down, if we remove, let's say, JSF, EJB, and let's say JCA, I would not expect, you know, too much difference, to be honest. So um, 
this is um, we we attempted this over and over again. Some of my clients, you know, ask me, "Hey, look, we don't use JSF. Can we remove it?" So, okay, sure. If you remove it, we'll probably save one meg of RAM or whatever. Who cares about that, right? But uh, <laughs> but what's interesting is uh, building something on top of it. So if we, this is actually a, a, a more interesting use case, I would say, if you could use uh, Whitefly as the engine for a new, I don't know, SSO or CMS or whatever. So this is actually a compelling point. Uh, making a Lina, I, I, to be honest, I, I, I don't know. And, and what I'm a little bit afraid of is, you know, the... Um, the uh, the problems with uh, partitioning of the community. So what could happen that someone just uses the transaction manager and the other one would just use the uh, CDI without, without the transaction manager and then we get a portability problem, what we had before J2E. So right now, at least, you know, if I have J2E, I know the application will run on Payara, Whitefly or Open Liberty. Um, after the tweaks, if every vendor will attempt to uh, to scale down the the platform, then we gain nothing. So then we are, you know, uh, there is there is actually nothing compelling anymore about Java E or Jakarta E or E for J or whatever. Yeah. So it, so just one thing is important is, is we don't have any intention of of basically completely stripping out the technology and not shipping it. Um, more what I meant was that. Like you would have it, you would have a distribution. So you would say you would get Wildfly fourteen or Wildfly fifteen or whatever, um, and it would have all the EE technologies and probably more. Um, and then, but you wouldn't when your when your application when you actually go to build your application, um, you simply just say what which of those things you're using, and then and then it would create an image of Wildfly that. Would contain only those those things that you're that you're currently that you that you've picked, right? So okay. so like if if you if for example you have a need where oh now I really need a transaction manager, then that would just mm-hmm. be a simple edit to a file and then you've got a transaction manager. So it wouldn't be that mm-hmm. now I have to re, I have to go and up do a major upgrade or anything like that, right? It's just uh, like it's basically just like the menu of components. You kind of think of it as sort of like a Linux distribution, right? Where where you have a Linux distribution and it's got like what like eight gigs of software or something, but nobody installs mm-hmm. all eight gigs. They only install maybe, you know. Like but if, even Linux, this is this is actually an interesting point. I use a lot of Docker mm-hmm. and uh, my all my Docker images are based on Red Hat or CentOS. It depends uh, on, on clients. And I always get the question why I'm not using Alpine Linux. And my answer is because it does not matter. So the Linux image is installed once per machine, mm-hmm. and I really don't care whether I will save 100 megs per machine, yes or no. And with Red Hat or CentOS, I have the user land. I have exactly the commands which all my clients have, and I'm absolutely not interested, you know, in investigated strange Alpine Linux commands. Yeah, I yeah, I This is what I mean. Yeah. So um the uh the lightweight craziness. So I see uh, every day, you know, I get question uh Java is too heavyweight, can we strip it down? It's like no. Um so at the Java one a session, what I did, I compared Whitefly, Whitefly Swarm and Payara to Hello World Java. So I just created Hello World Java with one thread, mm-hmm. blocked that, measured with JVisual VM the overhead. And then compare that to Whitefly, Open Liberty to all servers, actually. And the difference was around 40 megs of RAM, 40 to 60 megabyte overhead. So if you will strip down all the components, what you can gain, you know, at most 30 megs per microservice. I don't know about USA, but in Germany, RAM is extremely cheap. 
<laughs> yes, right. So, uh, so that's kind of interesting. So, like, one of the things that we've we've seen is that, um, like, when it comes to memory usage, that the biggest consumer is uh, is in JVM is related. Yeah, it's related to the JVM space in particular. You'll see. A, I mean, it's not. Uh, it, it, it's a it's a percentage of that, but a, a big contributor to the overall JVM space is the whole meta space measurement. Mm-hmm. So, like the the actual co- the amount of code that you have in the running system um, can mm-hmm. contribute. So, like we've had like really tiny heaps for a long time. I mean, you could you could have a full profile server and, and have it using um, you know sixteen megs of RAM, if you, depending on how you're using it, right? Um, mm-hmm. but, yeah. But uh, but what you'll see is the meta space value will actually be a lot bigger than that. Um, so the the whole JVM could take up, you know, um, depending on what you're doing with it, it could take up, um, you know, a couple hundred megs or more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, it's and there's ways to reduce that. There's ways to optimize that. So, but that that's kind of like the benefit is if you're, is if you're able to reduce the running code in the system, you can reduce that size. Now, I agree with you. RAM is cheap. Um, where it kind of matters more is is when you start dealing with. Um, you know, you know, so cloud infrastructure, and you've got like, uh, say, a, a, if you if you really embrace microservices, and you and you have hundreds or even thousands of services all running, and you're trying to like test this stuff maybe locally on a test system or something. Um, mm-hmm. If you think about it, like the amount of memory the JVM uses times the number of processes you have, it can actually consume quite a bit of your laptop when you add in all of the, you know. Yeah, sure. You add in your yeah, you are, you, you are right. Yeah, but uh, most of my project, I, I think, is this also. Not very good architectural sign if you're building and if, if your project you have several hundred microservices, you know. Mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, so. Most applications you can with you could create with I would say ten to fifteen microservices. Yeah, that's much more really beneficial. That's much more sensible. Yeah, it only be like yeah, a, yeah. In, in like the reuse scenario, right? Where you start yeah. expanding and then you've got enterprise or whatever and they've got, i mean i don't know if you've seen like the netflix diagram or, or you know yeah. talking about where <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> so yeah but uh this, this is a dangerous area you know mm-hmm. my clients are no netflix yeah so i always get the arguments netflix and twitter on facebook it's like look <laughs> we are not facebook you know we have a small data center we are building an enterprise app we are not not building a streaming service like netflix so uh, but what i could see is actually in Java E seven and eight full profile, there is a lots of stuff which you don't need anymore. What we could remove, for instance, is like uh, the Corba yeah. stuff, yeah, right? Corba yeah. soap. Uh, sorry for soap, but uh, I didn't use soap for ten years or something like this. So I would say I could ditch soap, and then what remains is actually a full profile Java E seven profile which is usable. Uh, and it is not officially the profile because uh, it is, cannot be certified anymore because some parts are lacking. But these parts are, are no more in use anymore, right? Right. So this, this could be a valid use case. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and, and Corba was um, so Corba was officially pruned in EE eight. So mm-hmm. um, so it's still there until EE nine. Well, EE for whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, it's up to now. It's up to Jakarta EE. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> but, but, um, it, but yeah, that that I definitely see happening. Um, the web services stuff. I mean, that certainly sounds like it could be an optional uh, technology. Yeah. Now that everybody's kind of moved uh, to REST based approaches. Yeah. Um, so sorry yeah, for that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> although, although you know, from from our perspective, what's sort of interesting is that we have like this mix of people that you know that are that are cutting edge who are building the latest stuff and then we have you know 
um, users that have they, they'll have like applications that still use some of these older technologies. So sure. that's that's kind of where the provisioning aspect is kind of nice, is because then it, then only the people who are using you know SOAP or web services um, pay the cost for it, right? Because then they specify, oh, I'm using web services, but it, but then like in your case, you wouldn't be using it at all, so you would never. You would never specify that, right? But from a standard perspective, we should keep the spec, the spec uh, pretty lean, I, I would say. And, and so I, mm-hmm. I, I think that it makes sense to look at the future there, if, especially when you have sort of two technologies that do kind of the same thing. Um, you know, why 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 put a lot of investment further into web services technologies when you already have REST already out there? That's, that's, that's I have to admit, what I what I see in enterprises, SOAP is dying rapidly. Yeah. And if you just take a look at conferences in those sessions, no one talks about SOAP anymore, I would say. It's just museum. Right, yeah. And and that makes sense because, you know, every, I think, well, it's sort of interesting because, like, one of the big promises with web services was supposed to be that you would be consuming services on the internet, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you remember that, right? And yeah. nobody really, there was a lot of people showed it being used, but nobody really, I think the closest stuff was, uh, I think, Amazon. Had had it with their um, AWS mm-hmm. stuff. They actually had real web services, but you know, it, everybody just went, you know, just jumped on REST, and that was really the it's sort of interesting. The REST became the ultimate realization of what web services was trying to do, and it did it with less technology. So that's sort of a, a lesson learned, right? Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily need to have a stack that does everything, anything, and everything. Um, mm-hmm to solve people's problems and and, because people were able to build a lot of really great stuff on it, even though it didn't do the same amount of stuff. So So what we didn't cover so far is the latest news, right? Whitefly 12 is out and it looked to me like it almost completely support Java 8. So what's not supported, I think is the security stuff, the JSR 375, right? Yes. And also JPA as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, so that's going to be on the list for those two items will be coming in on the next release. Uh, for Wildfire 13. In three months? Yeah, in three months. In three months, which is news? Yes, yes. And um, it, so part of the reason why I, I would have liked to have had JPA in, in sooner, mm-hmm. but the hibernating folks are currently doing um, some massive um, refactors and optimization of, so like the new Hibernate 6 is being worked mm-hmm. on. And, um, and What are going to be the features? Can you tell us? Well, um, it's 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 just they're they're it's all internal stuff, so you, you wouldn't uh, direct, necessarily be directly exposed to it. It's things like mm-hmm. the uh, like the the actual process by which they generate um, queries. The whole engine that generates queries is being heavily optimized now to produce cool. like the smallest possible query. Because mm-hmm. in, in our when we've done you know performance analysis, it's it's gotten to the point to where what are their biggest limitations they run into is not so much because they've optimized the binding pretty heavily it's the um the the queries that hit the database and like even just like the text size of the string can have an impact Mm -hmm. once you're once you do a certain i mean these this is Mm -hmm. very high levels of load that most people don't do but uh, (laughs) (laughs) but once you hit like a certain point you actually find that the actual text space in the x2o connection is consumes uh, so, uh, consumes a lot, so they're so to optimize the protocol. If they if they really generate the smallest possible query for any given mm-hmm. result set, that actually makes a, they've seen some testing that that makes a big difference. Um, and then they also have like some legacy aspects of their architecture um, that um, 
that, that have a cost, they could, they could improve memory, uh, memory utilization mm-hmm. and stuff like that by, so that's, so that's what they're doing. Hibernate six is just all in a lot of internal optimization. Um, there are a bunch of new features as well. I couldn't enumerate those to you right now. It's like, Help no, it's okay. It's just refactoring. It's okay. Yeah, um, everything is Lina Lina. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So and then so that's the situation is that they actually have a five X release that has the new JPA stuff, but we're hoping that we can get on the new optimized one as in, as opposed mm-hmm. to the the other one. But we still have to determine that depending on mm-hmm. how the schedule goes, which we can pull in. Uh, but yeah, so JPA and the new security spec. Um, and why the security spec is late? Because in theory, it should even work on all the J bosses or white flies. Right. In fact, the the RI actually already works on on Wildfly. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason it wasn't was just it was just the um, the timing of things. Um, just mm-hmm. our, 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 all the other things that we were pulling in, uh, we just didn't have the bandwidth to pull one other thing in. Um, and then one of the things that we're trying to do with this new iterative model is that we don't because it was very I mean it was very tempting. We're like, oh, I'm so we're so close to EEA. We should just Let's just finish it in twelve and release it then. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the freak, one of the frequent feedback that we get from the critical feedback that we get from the community has been, you know, there's too much time between Wildfly releases. We really would like to see more releases, and then we kind of see the future, and like like I was mentioning earlier, continuous de- delivery, where where um, the expectation is that you could pull in updates frequently from mm-hmm. us, and then frequently update your application as well. And so this is sort of a step in that direction. So in that case, we do have to sometimes say, okay, well, um, this isn't right. We have to pick which, what's going into what we have time to do. And then this this piece may have to get pushed to the next release. But since the next release is only three months away, it's not too, you know. In the end, I think that you end up delivering in roughly the same time frame. It's just that um, everybody who would not be using those capabilities uh, can, all, can, take, can benefit from everything else we've already, we've already provided. So, Yeah. And uh, so we get every three months a new Wi-Fi right now. Right. Yes. That's the best. That's the the goal. So we 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 did that for twelve, and so thirteen is the same thing. Uh, now there's you know if 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 something happens like there's a massive security issue that we uncover. Yeah, of course. Then then we would then we would not uh, be on that. But we you know we'd only be shipped by whatever that time slip by the time that is necessary to resolve that problem. Um, mm-hmm. But in general, yeah, every quarter we release, and then we'd have. Uh, one of the things we're doing that's a bit different is that we're being a bit more, um, uh, we're trying to do more of the continuous model where, where the, the branch is essentially in a state that is, that is uh, very close to being releasable mm-hmm. at any given time. And so we're taking features that are being developed and we're doing those in topic branches as opposed to, so traditionally the way we do it is you, you know, you'd submit a pull request for a feature it gets merged in and then we go through this like polishing period, right? Where we're, where we're, you know, testing it, mm-hmm. finding problems, fixing it. And then, and so in order to speed in order to speed up, the big change we've, we've had to make is to try to, is to try to remove the uncertainty aspects. Right. So, so now we, so now we try to develop the features in isolation and then they get developed and then they get tested and everything in a topic branch and then they get merged in when they're ready. Um, Mm-hmm. And then that helps us uh, with hitting these sort of shorter time frames. Um, so, so like the the EE spec, like we we're, we say it's a it's a preview edition because it's not fully complete of EE, but all mm-hmm. of the different specs that we've included are actually fully complete implementations. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, you could build a you know a servlet four or Jax or S two one application and deploy it on Wildfly without an issue. Um, 
so it's not it's not like a early beta or early alpha or anything like that. It's actually um, it's actually pretty mm-hmm. a pretty good invitation. So. And with JaxRS 2.1, you were ahead of time. I just saw in the email that you planned it for 13, and now it's out, right? Right, yes. So this was, we were really happy about this because uh, there was some, um, just the, the REST Easy project was making some other changes, and so we had, mm-hmm. we weren't sure this, that um, the release was going to line up, um, mm-hmm. but we were able to make it happen. So, yeah, so that, that was, and that was part of the thing is when you look at, for example, like, we could have included security or we could put energy into getting JAXRS 2.1 in and then mm-hmm. JAX 2. That's an easy one for me, right? Because probably most, yeah. most web-based applications are using um, JAXRS in some way these days from, in, I mean, from my observation, I'm not sure if you see the same thing. Yeah. 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 Of course. Yeah. And uh, what's the relation to EAP? So it's going to EAP will also release faster, the supported version of JBoss or what's the plan there? So right now at the moment, um, EAP is still following the same, uh, mo- uh, the same model. Um, so, mm-hmm. but what's different is that um, um, because we're doing more faster iterations on the Wildfly side, there's more Wildfly releases in between an EAP release. So mm-hmm. the minor, the, the EAP minor release releases we um, will probably be um, a little bit shorter between each other, but we still have the same, we still have the same um, sort of traditional cadence, um, and we we may optimize that cup with some additional changes in the future. But at, at this point in time, it's still it's still largely the same. So in some ways, it's because we have a lot of customers who, who really who already have a certain expectations about the lifecycle, um, you know, sort of like yeah. support. Long-term support on particular and, and, branches. And, and what's the what's the official cadence once a, once a year? What's the uh, official EAP release cadence? EAP, re, uh, EAP releases do miners um, about every about from from one to one and a half half years roughly is the mm-hmm. is the time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's largely driven by uh, whatever the customer RFE uh, payload looks like. So, like if customers ask for um, particular capabilities. Um, then what we do is we look for the upstream work that aligns with what they're looking for and then try to ship based off mm-hmm. of that. And then, and then we have, you know, we have a certain amount of, uh, you know, support lifecycle support, long-term support on a particular branch. So we have to keep mm-hmm. that in mind as to, as to how many branches that we have out there that for, for users to use. Um, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, so it's about every one and a half years Then we do majors about every, um, it, at the small at the smallest interval, we do them every three years, um, mm-hmm. but uh, but it currently with the um, but currently at, at this point in time, um, we, we intend to do um, a few more minors on, on EAP before before looking mm-hmm. into a major. Is it actually possible to buy support for white uh, for the whitefly? So let's say I'm really wealthy customer, you know, with billions of dollars on my bank. Mm-hmm. Could I buy support for Whitefly? Let's say I would like to have supported Whitefly. So um, we have a model um, called community to enterprise um, mm-hmm. that is an opportunity for that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But that's one of those things where uh, the our support model is still very much driven off of running EAP. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the C2E model is all about how you move from community to to EAP. So, okay. so there, there is arrangements that we come to for, for customers that make this transition, but, um, but we don't have a, um, just pure support, 
it, it, like just pure support on on community and that's and that's it at, at, at this point in time so because what usually happens we start to know is the newest white fly mm -hmm. and uh if the customer has to wait one and a half years to get supported is a, a little bit too long so it, the great model would be if they go to production with the white fly they can tell okay now we can buy support and wait until the aap arrives or something like this right right yeah yeah so um Yes, yeah, so that, and that's currently what that model is intended to address: is when is when someone has adopted Wildfly and they're using capabilities that are not yet in EAP. Um, so they have this problem of, well, how do I move to EAP if I've, if I'm using something in Wildfly? Um, so that's that's where that was that was created. One of the things we try to do is to is to make EAP um, more accessible to developers, so mm -hmm. you can actually download EAP for development. Um, um, by just having a jboss.org site, you don't have to like talk to an account manager or anything like that, or get a license key or anything. You can just go and, and download it. So you can start building your applications on EAP with the eventual mm -hmm. goal to evaluate it and then move to production support if you're happy mm -hmm. with it, right? Um, so that's another channel for, for mm -hmm. customers to go in. Although we know that a lot of people are going to want to go the uh, traditional community to EAP approach. Okay. Um, some final questions. What What do you like in Java E the most? So, what do you really appreciate in Java E, at a spec or? Right. So, the thing I like the most is the is the I, th I think the productivity system, like the the declarative model, is uh, is is really just a brilliant way to build software mm -hmm. in my mind. Um, mm -hmm. It just changes the. I mean, you know, you just you just throw some annotations on a class, and then you don't have to code a bunch of APIs. So like I, I do find a lot of the like um, you know sort of DSL APIs that are out there at various frameworks that they are certainly appealing and we have a lot of stuff like that, but it's it I, I, I still find myself drawn to that declarative model where you don't have to worry about what your API call is. You just simply say what your needs are and then and then the runtime fulfills those needs for you. Um, so that, that's probably the thing I like the most. Um, I really like the concurrency model um, mm -hmm. with with Java SE and EE, so that was one of the things I find the most attractive with uh, with Java was the um, the work on Java Util Concurrent. Uh, yeah, which you know exactly. This is widely underappreciated feature, I would say. This is just great. So, and I think uh, it is also under under specified. So, if you look at the spec from concurrency model, the examples are actually more interesting than the spec. So what I think what should be standardized uh, in the uh, concurrency model is like behavior on overload, you know, the whole, uh, what's called rejection policy handler, I think, right? Yes, so, you yeah. know, the what, what happens in case the executor handler is overloaded? I think it's called rejected policy handler. And everything is in the examples, but it's actually not standardized. And this would be great because then you can specify exactly how a thread pool should behave in case uh, the queue is full, for instance, right? Right, yeah. I mean, I, I, that's something, it's sort of interesting because, you know, the EE spec almost did something in that area, you know, with the whole concurrency EE um, spec. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know I, it, it already delivered some, that mainly amount of... Yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. This is the Java EE concurrency utilities. This is this, uh, w what is right now available. Right. And what's unspecified is already within the spec as an example. So if you read the spec, mm -hmm. there's like, you know, just the injection of executor service. And then if you read the through the spec, there are samples how to use that. And the 
samples are even more valuable than the spec because they state you could, for instance, use an you know, abort policy and you could have uh, colorance policy like um, <coughs> how it's called uh, back pressure and uh, we can even drop, you know, tasks. And I think this is more appealing. And somehow there is not a lot of interest or people are not aware of it. And this, uh, uh, for instance, in JAXORS 2.1, we have reactive client. So with the uh, RX reactive uh, JAXORS client, if we is this perfect case to talk between microservices, mm -hmm. and what I always do, I can inject managed executor service from the concurrency, pass it to the client, and I have built-in bulkheads pattern. So it's actually this is what you really need, and what right now you know the uh, to way to set it up is different on Whitefly, Payara, and Open Liberty, which is a pity because all servers I know are based on executor service from JDK anyway. So it will be really very easy to standardize that. Yes, yeah. I mean, there's certainly a lot of areas like that. And I agree with you that um, it would be great to make it easier to do that stuff. And certainly in a, in a more declarative fashion would be nice with executors mm -hmm. and setting up policies on how the um, on, on how the behavior works. And that's kind of what application servers do, right? You know, if you look, yeah. the thread, they, they sort of do that for you and then you have like a configuration yeah. somewhere. Um, but you're right in that you need, uh, you don't really, sometimes you don't always want like the same thread pool policy for everything. You, you want a special yeah, exactly. case. And, yeah, I, I agree. That should be standardized uh, or better standardized. Um, cool. Next question. Mm -hmm. uh, what is the killer feature of Whitefly in your eyes, except of course clustering and except SOAP? <laughs> right. Well, so so Wildfly, one of the things that's really nice about Wildfly is it has a really uh, uh, well. There's, there's so there's a bunch of different things. So one is the you know the the, the flexible server runtime. So um, mm -hmm. it can be you know sort of slimmed down and, and built up. Um, you know, with just by removing subsystems in an XML file. So it's a pretty rich configuration. It has a very rich configuration model um, mm -hmm. um, for for nearly everything. So you can kind of really easily set it up to do what you want it, what you want it to do. Um, it has a great uh, has a great web server undertow, um, which mm -hmm. you know we support things like um, uh, you can you can run Wildfly as a load balancer, for example, um, and it, it has mm -hmm. very rich capabilities there. You can you can write um, sort of uh, non block you can write non blocking um, handlers if you want to do um, you know asynchronous style development for for web mm -hmm. requests, um, mm -hmm. um, and and then. You know, just in general, like the philosophy of Wildfly has always been, well, what's valuable to uh, mm -hmm. to the developer. So that's that's one thing I think is it, we've you know we we tend to have uh, a really rich set of frameworks that you can use, right? So you can use mm -hmm. Hibernate APIs directly. You can use Infinispan. You can use all kinds of different uh, all sorts of technologies. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what I see as the strength of the strength of Wildfly. Um, and I think we've kind of pushed the envelope too on being the sort the, the lightweight. The lightweight runtime, and we we hope to continue to, to yeah continue to do yeah. That. <laughs> and what is the craziest or biggest or nicest Whitefly or JBoss project you are aware of? I don't know Whitefly running on Mars or you know millions of transactions per millisecond or whatever. So I've seen all kinds of stuff like that, and I um, I'm not sure what I can share. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but, this is just private conversations. Or... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, but well, so we have customers that do stuff, uh, do some pretty wild stuff. But I mean, I have seen um, a lot of things like that where now I, I don't know if it's running in in space. 
<laughs> I don't quite. I'm not quite sure about that, uh, but it's certainly used okay. in a lot of really uh, mission critical stuff. That I'm, I'm, you know, it, it kind of blows my mind that people are able to build, um, able to build uh, these really advanced uh, architectures on this stuff. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it, customers and users impress me every day. <laughs> I guess okay, it. so so we keep it private right now. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, where people can find you or find more information about you, uh, Whitefly or Whitefly News, or what are the resources? Right, so if you go to the main wildfly.org website, um, there's a news feed there, and so you'll see notifications about releases. And then we also t um, have um, developer content there, so um, if, you, um, if, you're, uh, uh, if you're looking at, like, say, a new feature that Wildfly rolls out, what we try to do is we try to have... Um, the, uh, the team that developed the feature write up about how you use it and some of the cool things you can do with it. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's also on that, that main site. Um, um, I'm on, I'm on Twitter as JT green um, with mm -hmm. me at the end <laughs> for green, <laughs> uh, but there's also a wildfly AS uh, you okay. can subscribe to, um, which posts a lot of stuff. Um, and, and that's, that's the sort of our main news channels would be social media and, um, and, and, and the website. Um, we, 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 one of the things we, we recently changed is we're, we're trying to improve our documentation. So if you look at Wildfly 12, the, we're now doing, um, we're now doing ASCII doc generated as part of the build. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we're trying to do it so that when new features come in that we, um, that is part of the pull request, there's always some docs being added. So we're, so we really want to make that, um, a better experience. Um, but yeah, if you, to go and get information from the docs, you just go and click the docs link. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's sort of like the main, the main touch point for, users that want to get interested. Okay. So thank you for the interview. Thank you.